discuter de tout ça. I don't want to set the world on fire. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, whenever it may be, wherever you may be, and however you may be hearing my voice. Whether it be via download through one of the many podcast platforms, or if you are listening to the premiere on the Alternate Current Radio's live stream, I appreciate you tuning in and joining me as we attempt to navigate the shark-infested waters of the agenda-centivized media and look past the propaganda. This is your daily dose of what's currently all the ruckus. What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. Howdy, folks. Wow. I can't believe that I've been doing the Daily Ruckus for a year now. And I'm swiftly approaching my 200th episode. Yeah. Wow. 200 episodes. A whole year. Gee, if there's one thing I've learned, it's, well, that I'm running out of things to talk about. But in all seriousness, I think this show is in desperate need of some fresh blood before it starts to get stale. Hey, wait a minute. Now there's a great idea. You're listening to Alternate Current Radio. I'm Adam Clark, and this is The Daily Ruckus. Alright, folks. Before we dive into the fun stuff, there's this. As reported by the Wire News India. Europe's drug regulator on June 11 identified another very rare blood condition as a potential side effect of AstraZeneca's COVID-19 vaccine and said it was looking into cases of heart inflammation after inoculation with all coronavirus shots. The European Medicines Agency's Safety Committee said that capillary leak syndrome, CLS, must be added as a new side effect to labeling on AstraZeneca's vaccine, known as Vaxevria in Europe and Covishield in India. People who had previously sustained the condition where fluids leak from the smallest blood vessels causing swelling and a drop in blood pressure should not receive the shot, the EMA added. The regulator first began looking into these cases in April, and the recommendation adds to AstraZeneca's woes after its vaccine was associated with very rare and potentially lethal cases of blood clotting that come with a low platelet count. Last month, the EMA had advised against giving a second AstraZeneca shot to people with that clotting condition, known as thrombosis with thrombocytopenia syndrome. TTS. The committee reviewed six validated cases of CLS in people, mostly women, who had received Vaxevria, including one death. Three had a history of the condition. More than 78 million Vaxevria doses have been administered in the European Union, Liechtenstein, Iceland, and Norway, and Britain. In a statement, AstraZeneca pointed to the extreme rarity of CLS cases at less than 1 in 10 million vaccinated individuals. 
controls. The company said, quote, We are working actively in collaboration with regulatory authorities on risk minimization measures that includes information to those being vaccinated, information to drive early diagnosis and intervention, and appropriate treatment, end quote. Britain's regulator, the MHRA, said it was considering precautionary advice for people with a history of CLS, but does not see a causal link with the vaccine. Two of eight reports of capillary leak syndromes following AstraZeneca vaccination in the UK were in people with a history of the condition, and 40 million doses of the vaccine had been given, it said. Separately, the EMA said it was continuing its probe into cases of heart inflammation known as myocarditis or pericarditis, primarily following inoculation with the Pfizer-BioNTech and Moderna mRNA shots, but also after the J&J and AstraZeneca vaccines. U.S. health officials said on Thursday they had registered a higher-than-expected number of heart inflammation cases in young men who received a second dose of the mRNA shots, though a causal relationship could not be established. Israel's health ministry said this month it had found a likely link to the condition in young men who received the Pfizer-BioNTech shot. Both Pfizer and Moderna have acknowledged the observations, but said a causal association with their vaccines has not been established. BioNTech said adverse events, including myocarditis and pericarditis, are being regularly and thoroughly reviewed by the companies and regulatory authorities. Quote, more than 300 million doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine have been administered globally and the benefit-risk profile of our vaccine remains positive, end quote. The United States and Israel have been months ahead of the EU in vaccinating men below 30 who are particularly prone to heart inflammation, giving them potentially more cases to analyze. Science.thewire.in And now that that nasty little black pill is out of the way, let's dive into some cool stuff, shall we? I wasn't kidding in the opening of this show. I really am starting to run out of topics, so... I was a little pressed for exactly what it was I was going to discuss today, and then, lo and behold, thank you so much, huge shout out to Hyperfocal and or Sunbell, who dropped a few interesting articles in the Boiler Room's Discord chat today, and color me thoroughly inspired. And before I dive right into this, I have to ask you folks a question. Are you familiar with the conspiracy theory involving blood harvesting, Hollywood elites, and more? But hold on, let me back up a second and just set the stage here with some history. According to all that's interesting's website. In 1602, rumors began to circulate around the village of Trensin in present-day Slovakia. Peasant girls looking for servant work at the Setje castle were disappearing. Many looked to Countess Elizabeth Bathory when attempting to explain the disappearances. Bathory, scion of a powerful Hungarian family and the product of inbreeding between Baron George Bathory and Baroness Anna Bathory called the castle home. She received it as a wedding gift from her husband, Hungarian war hero Ferenc Nadaski. In 1578, Nadaski became chief commander of the Hungarian army and embarked on a military campaign against the Ottoman Empire, leaving his wife in charge of his vast estates and the governing of the local 
local populace. Since then, views that Bathory tortured her servants began to spread. These views would become much more dramatic in 1604, when Bathory's husband died. According to witnesses, it was at this time that Elizabeth Bathory began murdering her victims, the first of which were poor girls lured to the castle with the promise of work. Soon enough, witnesses said that Bathory expanded her sights and started murdering daughters of the gentry sent to the castle for their education, as well as kidnapping girls who would never have come to the castle on their own. As a wealthy noblewoman, Bathory evaded the law for six years until Hungarian King Matthias II sent in highest-ranking representative Georgi Thurzo to investigate the complaints against her. Thurzo collected evidence from some 300 witnesses who leveled a bevy of truly horrifying charges against the Countess. According to the reports and the stories told long after, Bathory burned her victims with hot irons, beat them to death with clubs, stuck needles under their fingernails, poured ice water over their bodies and left them to freeze to death outside, covered them in honey so that bugs could feast on their exposed skin, sewed their lips together, and bit chunks of flesh off their breasts and faces. In addition, witnesses said Bathory liked using scissors to torture her victims. She used the instrument to cut off their hands, noses, and genitals. One of her favorite pastimes, witnesses said, was using scissors to slice open the skin between her victims' fingers. Even more than those horrific acts of violence, the sometimes supernatural stories that surround the acts help define Elizabeth Bathory's terrifying legacy today. At the time of Thurzo's investigation, some accused her of cannibalism, while others claimed to have seen her have sex with the devil himself. The most infamous accusation, the one that inspired her infamous nickname, the Blood Countess, as well as the rumors that she was a vampire, alleged that Elizabeth Bathory bathed in the blood of her young victims in an attempt to maintain a youthful appearance. Allthatsinteresting.com Neat. That's a fun story, huh? Almost as fun as this one, which I found courtesy of Men's Health. The headline? QAnon is spreading a bizarre and dangerous conspiracy theory about a drug called Adrenochrome. Written by Jason Silverstein on November 26th, 2020. Supporters of the far right-wing group QAnon are spreading a dangerous conspiracy theory that the blood of kidnapped children is being harvested by liberal elites for a drug called adrenochrome, which they say offers a psychedelic experience and even holds the promise of immortality for those who take it. While that may sound patently ridiculous, the adrenochrome conspiracy theory has now made its way beyond the bloodshot eyes of YouTube investigators and into mainstream culture, such as when Dr. Phil featured a woman on his show who claimed that her missing daughter had been kidnapped and tortured for the chemical. And if you're wondering why it is important to pay attention to this sort of thing, like it or not, there are signs the group's influence is growing. Let's explain what adrenochrome is, what QAnon wants you to believe it is, but is definitely not, and what's the harm in believing in such misinformation. Adrenochrome is a chemical that's a byproduct of adrenaline. That's it. It turns out you don't need to kidnap children and drain their blood. 
There are many trusted chemical suppliers, in fact, that sell it. Back in the 50s, scientists speculated that adrenochrome caused schizophrenia. Take a megadose of vitamin C, one researcher concluded, and adrenochrome along with schizophrenia should vanish. That didn't work, alas. But the lack of real science didn't stop adrenochrome from sounding cool enough to make it into drug-lit classics like Aldous Huxley's The Doors of Perception and Anthony Burgess's A Clockwork Orange. The source of the myth that you need to steal adrenochrome from a corpse goes back to a fun scene in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, in which Dr. Gonzo, Hunter S. Thompson's quote-unquote attorney, says adrenochrome, quote, makes pure mescaline seem like ginger beer, end quote. Later, it is explained that, quote, there's only one source for this stuff, the adrenaline gland from a living human body, end quote. It's an easy mistake to make, but please know that Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is not a documentary feature made from archival footage of actual events. So what does QAnon think adrenochrome is? In short, QAnon followers believe there is an operative in the deep state called Q, and Q leaves secret messages called Q-drops. Some think that Q is none other than JFK Jr., who is very much alive today, and was supposed to October surprise us as Trump's running mate. He did not. Quote, A central conspiracy theory circulating within the QAnon movement is that deep state Satan-worshipping pedophilic liberals are behind an international child sex trafficking ring, says Joseph Pierre, the acting chief of mental health community care systems at the VA Greater Los Angeles Healthcare System. A more fringe aspect of that theory is that they are harvesting adrenochrome from children, and then self-administering it as a kind of fountain of youth potion, end quote. To hear it in their own words, as reported by Right Wing Watch, the conspiracy theorist Liz Crokin says in a video, quote, Adrenochrome is a drug that the elites love. It comes from children. The drug is extracted from the pituitary gland of tortured children. It's sold on the black market. It's the drug of the elites. It is their favorite drug, end quote. Other QAnon conspiracy theorists use adrenochrome to explain why there are so many missing children worldwide. They also claim that Hillary Clinton and former aide Huma Abedin were caught on tape ripping off a child's face, wearing it as a mask, and drinking the child's blood to obtain adrenochrome. Yes, really. So why does it matter that anyone believes this conspiracy is real? There's an old saying that you should never attribute to malice that which can be explained by stupidity. But in the case of QAnon, their conspiracy theories are a generous helping of both. Pierre says, quote, QAnon is tapping into both conservative mistrust of liberals, as well as the ubiquity of misinformation out there, end quote. Believing that liberal elites are drinking dead child blood instead of just going to Oregon for shrooms may seem outrageous. But for some, it is just one piece in a big puzzle that they are solving with their friends to take down the people they hate. Quote, Conspiracy theories can be like drugs, says Brian Houston, director of the Disaster and Community Crisis Center at the University of Missouri. If they are doing something for you psychologically, you often need more and more of that to get your fix. So the conspiracy theories just get crazier and crazier. End quote. The problem is that belief in something like adrenochrome and can translate into action or inaction. Pierre says, quote, Belief in misinformation, and more importantly, acting on misinformation, always carries a potential of danger when it comes to misinformation in the form of conspiracy theories.
libraries, that danger might be avoiding vaccination, leading to outbreaks of measles or failure to contain COVID-19. Houston adds, quote, The extremism of QAnon means that violence is always possible. Pizzagate illustrated that. End quote. Referencing a man shooting, and thank God not killing anyone, inside a Washington, D.C. pizzeria because he believed there was a child sex ring operating there. But there's an even more common danger to people believing in conspiracy theories like adrenochrome harvesting and hunting the internet for Q drops, Pierre says. Quote, People who fall down the rabbit hole of QAnon are usually neglecting their real lives, jobs, social relationships, in favor of spending hours and hours on the internet, working themselves into a kind of self-radicalizing frenzy about the state of the world that isn't congruent with reality. End quote. Menshealth.com Bravo. I must admit that's a much finer written fact check than what we usually get out of Snopes. Here, by comparison, check this one out. From December 29th, 2018. Did CBS report that elites are lining up to ingest the blood of children? And Snopes rating is... False. On December 26, 2018, the News Punch Junk News site published an article claiming that CBS had reported on quote-unquote world leaders and elite businessmen who supposedly quote ingest the blood of young children in order to achieve eternal youth, end quote. That News Punch report was typically distorted and deliberately misleading, intended to foster a false picture of vampiric patrons feasting on the blood of children to maintain the themselves in a state of youthful immortality. The underlying information that formed the basis of the News Punch article did not come from CBS News, but rather from a two-minute speculative health segment produced by Philadelphia television station KYW. And that segment did not state or even remotely suggest that anyone was quote-unquote ingesting the blood of young children in order to achieve eternal youth. That KYW segment was itself mostly a brief rehash of some recent studies which found that giving older mice infusions of blood plasma from younger mice seemingly improved the former's performance in learning and memory tests. Other studies are ongoing to determine whether the process might have any applicability in human beings. Snopes.com. So what of this scientific research involving the quote-unquote fountain of youth? Well, the experiment referred to in the Snopes fact check is actually the subject of an article written for Scientific American published on April 21st, 2017. And it reports, an injection of new blood is a phrase long used as a metaphor for the revitalizing effect of fresh minds on a stagnant organization. But research now suggests it also applies in a literal sense, in a development that calls to mind both vampire lore and stories of bathing in blood, young blood appears to, in fact, rejuvenate old brains. Researchers at Stanford University, led by neuroscientist Tony Weiss Carre, showed in a 2014 study that infusions of blood from young mice reversed cognitive and neurological impairments seen in old ones. They used a somewhat bizarre technique in which two mice were sutured together in such a way that they shared a circulatory system, known as parabiosis, and found old mice joined to their youthful counterparts showed 
showed changes in gene activity in a brain region called the hippocampus, as well as increased neural connections and enhanced quote-unquote synaptic plasticity, a mechanism believed to underlie learning and memory in which the strength of neural connections change in response to experience. They also gave old mice infusions of young blood plasma, which significantly improved their performance in learning and memory tests. These findings may have profound implications if they can be replicated in humans. As life expectancy has increased, the burden of both normal age-related cognitive decline and neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's has become one of the biggest public health challenges worldwide. The hippocampus, a region crucially involved in forming episodic memories, event recall, and spatial memory for physical navigation, is especially affected by aging, with accompanying declines in the ability to learn and remember. It also deteriorates early on when afflicted by Alzheimer's. In the study published in Nature, Weiss, Corey, and colleagues go further by showing plasma from human umbilical cords and young adults also has benefits beneficial effects in old mice, which is a small step toward testing the approach in humans. Quote, this suggests there are factors in the blood of young organisms, including humans, that can rejuvenate an old brain and make it work more like a younger one, Weiss Corey says. It brings us a bit closer because it shows human blood has the same factors, end quote. They also identified a protein that seems to be important for producing these benefits, providing a new focus for efforts to develop treatments for cognitive decline. Quote, they have isolated one druggable target that appears to rejuvenate age-related cognitive decline in the hippocampus, says biologist Eric Blaylock of the University of Kentucky, who was not involved in the study. It's fairly exciting, end quote. The team took plasma from human umbilical cords as well as from younger and older people, ages 19 to 24 and 61 to 82. They found levels of numerous proteins differed according to the plasma source age. They gave aging mice, engineered to have deficient immune systems that would not adversely react to human plasma, infusions of the three types of plasma every fourth day for two weeks. The researchers found cord plasma increased the activity of several genes linked to neural plasticity and memory. Young adult plasma activated a subset of the same genes, and older adult plasma had no effect on gene expression. The researchers then measured electrical activity in the hippocampi of mice treated with each type of plasma or a saline solution, which showed cord plasma promoted a type of synaptic plasticity called quote-unquote long-term potentiation, or LTP, widely believed to be the neural basis of memory. The researchers then showed the benefits extended to behavior. They used a fear conditioning task in which mice have to remember enclosures where they received electric shocks and a maze task which involves remembering one hole out of many where they can safely hide. Mice treated with cord plasma performed significantly better on both tasks compared with the animals infused with saline. Quote, what makes this important is it's showing effects on behaviors that depend on the hippocampus, behavior that we know changes with age. 
age, Blaylock says, and those changes, quote, can be reversed by this treatment, end quote. To track down what might be producing these effects, the team compiled a list of plasma proteins common to both mice and humans whose levels decline with age. They then tested some of the best candidates, finding two that affected neuroplasticity. One, CSF2, was already known to reverse cognitive impairment and toxic protein buildup in mice that develop Alzheimer's disease, so they focused on the second, TIMP2, whose role in the aging brain had not been studied. The researchers used radioactive labeling to show TIMP2 injected intravenously crosses the blood-brain barrier. They then injected the protein into elderly mice with normal immune systems and found this reproduced the beneficial effects of cord plasma on both memory performance and LTP in the hippocampus, whereas mice engineered to lack TIMP2 showed reduced LTP. These results show TIMP2 is sufficient to produce beneficial effects. So, to also demonstrate TIMP2 is necessary for memory function, they injected regular young mice with TIMP2 neutralizing antibodies. This made young mice perform very poorly in a spatial memory task. Finally, they showed old immunodeficient mice treated with cord plasma from which TIMP2 had been removed presented none of the improvements in memory performance seen using normal plasma. Quote, we were surprised by this, Weiss Corey says. I didn't expect it would be that clear cut. TIMP2 is one of a family of proteins that regulates the activity of a class of enzymes, which in turn regulate many different proteins. Quote, Maybe that's why TIMP2 is so powerful, Weiss Corey says. It doesn't just have one function, but regulates a broad network of proteins and their activities. End quote. Yet, as compelling as the results are, Weiss Corey does not think TIMP2 is the whole story. He says, quote, It would be too good to be true if if this was the only factor, but it's probably quite important." End quote. Blaylock agrees. He says, quote, it's certainly a reasonable target. End quote. The study leaves many open questions which the team is working on. Quote, We're trying to find out where these factors are produced in the body, why they decrease with age, and could we potentially regulate them? Weiss Corey says, How do factors from the blood talk to the brain? Do they interact with blood vessels in the brain, regulate neurons directly, or regulate support cells? End quote. Weiss Corey and his colleagues are also hunting down other factors. Previously, they found that in addition to old mice benefiting from young blood, young mice exposed to old blood suffered memory declines, suggesting old blood may contain aging factors. Quote, we want to know what these are because one could potentially inhibit these factors to have beneficial effects as well, Weiss Corey says. There are still lots of questions open at the basic biological level, end quote. There are also immediate medical implications. Quote, the findings allow us to move forward and directly test human plasma infusions in people. Weiss Corey says, the next steps are to go into safety trials, then larger efficacy trials, end quote. Last year, a Monterey, California-based company called Ambrosia launched the first U.S. clinical trial 
to test the anti-aging effect of young blood in people, but participants had to pay to participate, raising ethical questions. Weiss Corey was critical of this trial, but Alkahest, a company he co-founded, recently completed its own more rigorous small safety trial on 18 Alzheimer's patients with, quote, no adverse side effects, end quote. An advantage of this therapy is that toxicology testing is largely unnecessary. Quote, plasma is a human product, so you don't have to go through toxicology studies in animals. Weiss Corey says, if we find a human plasma fraction that's beneficial, you could potentially use this in a few years, whereas a typical drug development plan is five to ten years, end quote. It may also be possible, he adds, quote, to produce these factors synthetically or develop small molecules that mimic the activity, but that takes much longer, end quote. ScientificAmerican.com. Well, there you have it, folks. I hope you had fun, and I hope you learned something. I know I sure did. Especially that part in the last article there that says, quote, a typical drug development plan is five to ten years, end quote. Of course, I'm very shocked that the fact checkers haven't gone out there and started scrubbing some of these older articles. Because as we all know in this new normal, that drug development plans such as, oh, I don't know, say, vastly untested mRNA-based gene editing biotechnology delivery systems disguised as vaccines can't sit around waiting for five to ten years to hit market. Not during this crisis. This is an emergency, people. Big Pharma is getting sick and tired of not making enough money to cover their lawsuits. For the ACR, I'm Adam Clark, and this has been The Daily Ruckus for Wednesday, June 16, 2021. For more information, please visit alternatecurrentradio.com.